we did work in 2020 in Kansas for Barbara Bollier, who did not win, but the cycle Kansas shot down an extreme anti-choice ballot measure and re-elected a Democratic governor. And so I like to think that there's a lot of value in communicating with people and voters and pushing our messaging, even when we can't win on a particular cycle. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is another progressive political entrepreneur, Eve Sanborn McCool. She is a co-founder at Assemble the Agency, a political digital media firm. Eve worked her way from digital director for people like Tammy Duckworth to running a key progressive political media agency. She has a good story and a lot of learnings, so you should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Eve of Assemble the Agency. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Eve, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Of course. I am co-founder and chief strategist of Assemble. We are a digital-first marketing agency that helps candidates and causes build support. And I oversee our editorial team, which includes all of our organic digital marketing, all of our fundraising work, as well as the messaging behind all of our paid communication and persuasion. And prior to forming Assemble, I was the digital director for Tammy Duckworth when she ran for the U.S. House in 2012 and for the Senate in 2016. Um, And in between those campaigns and afterwards, uh, consulted for a number of other candidates, um, party committees. I was the lead fundraising consultant for the DSCC uh, during the 2018 cycle, as well as some nonprofit work. Yep. You've had a pretty meteoric rise, it seems like. Maybe it seems like a lot of time for you, but for someone like me, it's pretty impressive. Can you tell me just a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? What kind of family? What kind of education? Yeah, of course. I grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago. My parents are Democrats who've always been politically aware and engaged, very service-minded. My dad spent 20 years as the spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago, which is an office that prosecutes a lot of corrupt Illinois politicians. And I used to spend a lot of my days off from school going to court with him and watching some of these trials of folks like Rod Bogoyevich and before that, George Ryan. And I think most people would be very turned off from politics by that. But I 
really had this strong feeling of, you know, I want to get involved in this and help elect people who will be better um, and who will be in it for the right reasons. And so I got hooked on politics very young. Uh, I had my first campaign internship for the Obama campaign at their national headquarters when I was 18 and just got hooked and continued on campaigns from there and founded Assemble before I was 30. Tell me a little bit about that interning. Like, I think, just think about if some people listening might be 18. It's just very hard, I think, sometimes to imagine what the meaning in the career is of the internship that you take at that time. Tell me about like what you did for Obama back in that day and what you learned. I worked in the operations department. So it was, you know, a lot of very unglamorous you know, not particularly substantive work. I answered the phones a lot. I was the receptionist for a few hours every day. I delivered people's mail. I spent a lot of time making sure people had security cards to get into the building, the nuts and bolts of keeping an office running, but just in a very cool environment where I got to be exposed to the workings of the campaign. What was the next job for you? I was able to uh, get an internship at the White House, also doing operations work with some of the same folks I'd worked with on the campaign, which was a really cool hybrid of glamour and not glamour. Um, <laughs> you know, the operations folks controlled all of the White House perks. I got to do all of the fun things and also spend time organizing supply closets. It was great. Around that time as well, I was still in school. I was in school in Missouri and I started interning for Robin Carnahan's 2010 campaign for Senate against Roy Blunt. And that's where I first started getting into the digital side of politics. What does the digital side of politics mean to you? At the time, we were calling it new media. And I honestly ended up doing it because I just wanted to ask questions and sound smart in my interview. And so I asked the campaign what they were doing with new media. And they said, oh, I guess you can also be our new media intern. I started helping write copy for microsites and for fundraising emails. It was very sort of ad hoc. But eventually, I think digital has evolved into really so much of how we communicate. It's everything from email to social media to websites, but also text messaging, digital out of home and, and billboards, and really so much of the way that we consume information is funneled through a digital lens. What was it about that intersection of digital and politics that attracted you? I really liked the fact that it involved so much writing. I loved to write. I was involved with my school newspaper in college. And digital, especially at the time, was very focused on using email in particular to tell the story of the campaign and the candidate. And that was what really drew me in. It seems like Tammy Duckworth has played a big role in your life. You're clearly from that part of the world, but how do you first become acquainted with her and, and start working with her? That was my first full-time job out of college. My boss on the Carnahan campaign was hugely helpful after I graduated and introducing me to folks and really made it his personal mission to try to help me find a job after school. And he knew the campaign manager at the time for her campaign and made that connection. So I started on her team and was in and out for various campaigns for quite some time. Tell me about her. What's your impression? 
she is fantastic. I'm, I'm a huge admirer of her and her persistence, the fact that she really is committed to, to fighting for what she believes in against any obstacle that comes her way. At what point did you get to have a personal relationship, if you did, with her, where you're actually talking and getting to know her more than just as a candidate or an elected official? Yeah, I, I probably met her day one of that House campaign. I tell people all the time, I think House races are a great place to start in politics because you're typically in the office with the candidate and a small group of people day in, day out. And you really do get to, to build those relationships pretty directly in most cases. A lot of times the dynamic between a young person and an elected official around digital stuff is asymmetrical in multiple ways, right? Like maybe the young person knows the platforms and is adept with the computer and digitally native and all of those things. And sometimes the principal or politician or whoever you're working with is less so, not always, but what did you see in this particular case? She's actually someone who is one of the more digitally savvy and engaged folks I've worked with. And has frequently played a role in her own social channels and coming up with great lines and things for for social media. But actually, in the time since then, one of the sort of niches we've carved out at Assemble is working with a number of long-serving senators. We actually work now with Illinois' other senator, Dick Durbin, among others, who you know have started their career long before digital communication was something they needed to think about. So I've gotten to spend a lot of my time thinking about how do we use these platforms for people who are not natives and are never going to be dancing on TikTok, for instance, but that is still interesting and engaging and compelling. Well, doing that thinking, what have you learned or discovered or thought about? I think the reason that people follow politicians online, you know, on social media or sign up for an email list, et cetera, is because they really want information and context. You know, these are people who care about what's happening in our political system. And particularly for members of Congress or people who are already in elected office, those candidates and members have an opportunity to translate what's going on in our government for their audience and provide that sort of insider information. So we do a lot to try to help our candidates really figure out, well, how can you communicate about the work you're doing in a way that makes people feel really engaged? Using Tammy Duckworth as the lens, how was digital communications changing? How was her operation changing from the time you first get there and she's down at the congressional level? Like what's happening to her lists? What's happening to her voice on those platforms? And how are you part of making that evolution over time. Yeah. When I started working on that race in 2012, it was possibly the first cycle that house races were thinking about digital in any kind of real way. You know, you had the Obama campaign in 2008 really introduce digital into politics. The Dean campaign a bit before then, but that was a real, you know, watershed moment. It had sort of started trickling down to Senate races in 2010. But when I was her digital director in 2012, I think I was one of three House digital directors that cycle in the country. Everything was new. 
And the emphasis was really on fundraising, I think in part because it was the most measurable. And so it was the easiest way to demonstrate to campaign managers and other folks who've been around politics for a long time, what the value of the internet and politics could be. And I think the way that it's changed increasingly so every cycle since then is people, A, understanding more and more at every level of the ballot how important these tools are, but also using them in more expansive ways to support really every aspect of the campaign. Is there a particular thing you guys did online or in ads or whatever that sticks in your mind that that sort of can illustrate what you were up to? Yeah, the biggest moment on that 2012 campaign, we were running against then Congressman Joe Walsh, who at the time was one of the most extreme right Republicans in Congress. We had one of the real, I think, standout rapid response moments of that cycle because he made a comment at a town hall about how our true military heroes don't talk about their military service. And we were able to really jump on that, particularly for fundraising. And so that rapid response piece is something that I've always really enjoyed and found to be one of the best fun parts of this work. In that case, what did you do? What did you say? I mean, obviously, she has the scars of of her service, but how did you use that? In some ways, I actually don't think the playbook for rapid response has changed all that much. It is really be as quick as you can, use every communication channel available to you, whether that's email or social networks, etc. Enlist surrogates and others to help amplify that message. And I also think when you're talking about rapid response, make it as simple as possible. Often when we're reacting to what Republicans are saying, we just have to point out what they've said and people really understand what the next step means to be. Was it a lot different with her running for Senate? Definitely. You know, that was four years later. People had a much stronger sense of the role of digital. It was a given that you were going to have a, a digital director and often more staff for a Senate race. There was more support from folks like Emily's List and at the party committees for digital. And so it was definitely a more robust infrastructure to be operating in. What made you good at it? I think part of it is that I'm a good writer, good storyteller. I think that's a really important part of digital still. I also really liked that digital is a combination of writing and math and very data-driven. And you can look at what's working and what's not working and adapt from there. And I think I'm someone who's pretty good at looking at those trends and identifying patterns and figuring out from numbers what those numbers mean and how to apply them. Did you guys use digital fundraising firms, the people to help with the websites for Duckworth? On that 2016 campaign, I think we were probably the only Senate campaign of our caliber that did not have an email fundraising firm. We ran our email program entirely in-house, which was important to me because of of my background and skill set. But we did bring on Bully Pulpit Interactive to run a digital ads program for us. And that's actually how I came to work closely with my now business partner, Mark Skidmore, We worked together on that race when he was a partner at Bully Pulpit and then ended up founding a firm together a couple of years later. 
Tell me about Mark. Mark had been one of the founding partners of Bully Pulpit. He had actually gotten his start in the commercial space, working for companies doing advertising. Decided he wanted to help apply that to politics and got involved in doing digital advertising for the Obama campaign in 2008. My expertise had really been in the organic side of digital, the fundraising side of digital. His was always in the paid media side. And so it was a really complementary skill set. And also he was someone who had founded a company already, was a consultant when I was still working on a campaign on staff, and came in with a little bit more experience and a really large network. So when we started talking about founding a firm, it, it was something I had never thought about before, but a really no-brainer for me to, to work with him. Well, tell me about your time at Revolution Messaging, which for a while was a very successful firm and then stuff happened. Yeah, I worked at Revolution twice. First between that House race and Senate race when they were a pretty small company working on their fundraising work for a number of senators and other candidates. And then I came back after 2016 and spent another year there. I missed the year that they were working on the Bernie Sanders race. It was there right before and right after. What occasioned you to leave Revolution? Really, it was that this opportunity had come up to work with Mark. After 2016, Bully Pulpit had sold to a private equity firm, and he made the decision to leave and do something new. And he'd sort of taken a year off to think about that and was just starting to put together a new firm. And so he and I got to talking and the opportunity to start something of my own and be a partner in a firm even though it wasn't really something that occurred to me before was too hard to pass up. How many founders were there? We started with three partners. There are now four of us. We've had a little bit of changes along the way. But really, the, the one person I knew before I started working at Assemble was Mark. He was kind of the glue that brought everyone together. Yep. And what was the vision for the firm? We wanted to be full service in a way that I think few firms in the space really are. You know, a lot of firms have started as email fundraising firms and then added advertising capabilities, or they started as ad firms and they tried to add on fundraising or add on websites and creative, etc. We really tried to marry those things from the beginning and to bring on kind of partner level expertise for every aspect of our business. And so I think we do advertising work really well. I think we do organic content strategy really well, fundraising, a really strong in-house creative team, and really are able to provide the full spectrum of services that you need to run an effective digital program in a way that I think is rare in this space. Why the particular name you chose? That was all Mark. Um, and it, it comes from the Avengers. Like assemble the Avengers, assemble the agency. Got it. And assemble, of course, a political word. Yes. And, you know, there are a lot of firms in this space that sound very similar uh, that have, you know, action or blue or whatever in their title. And we wanted something a little different. Right. How has it been as a business? It has been successful even beyond what I had hoped for. We started with really a sort of a two-year plan, which was, can we bring in enough clients and do interesting work and 
decide if we want to keep going. And, um, you know, we've quickly grown in terms of staff, in terms of client roster, been able to work on a ton of really interesting projects and build something that, that feels really sustainable. Who do you see as your competition? What's the, what are the firms that sort of overlap with you and that you pitch against? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I actually don't think there's another firm out there that is totally a one-for-one competitor to us. You know, there are firms we'll pitch against on specific projects, but because of the diversity of services that we offer, as well as kind of the range of projects that we work on, it really depends. There are times when we're up against really traditional political consulting firms, and there are times when we're competing against big agencies that don't have that political DNA. Among those imperfect competitors, who do you have respect for? Oh, great question. We still have a a great relationship with the folks at Bully Pulpit, and I really enjoyed working with them in 2016 and think that they continue to do great work. My husband is actually the chief technology officer at New Blue Interactive. So we like to tell people we're friendly business competitors, Um, (laughs) but I think they're great. (laughs) I think there are a lot of really good practitioners in this space. I think the one thing that sometimes our competitors have gotten wrong is a lot of them start with, you know, one principle or two principles. And I think what has made us uniquely successful is really bringing number of people together at a really high level who could build a company that was stronger than any one person. Sometimes when people talk about where things are heading, they talk about television ads being fully under the same roof as all the digital. These are basically converging things and they shouldn't be competing in the expenditures of campaigns and how to allocate your budget maybe should belong and your creative should belong under the same roof. What's your opinion on that? And where are you guys in, in potentially doing that aspect of political communication? Yeah, I do agree with that. I think in a perfect world, all media buying would happen through one agency so that you didn't have kind of the turf wars of who's having to run which pieces of the program influencing how you're allocating spend We actually do TV buying. We have a senior advisor who worked in in TV ad sales and TV buying for a number of years. Unfortunately, we've really only been able to run the sort of multi-channel digital plus TV campaigns for some of our advocacy and public affairs clients. It's been a much tougher sell on the candidate side. And of course, you know, there are a lot of TV firms that are trying to build out some digital practices, but I think too often they treat digital as an afterthought. It comes back to the senior leaders at the firm don't have the expertise. They're hiring in people to do it. It's just not as much of a priority. And in some ways, buying digital is a lot more complicated than buying TV. It's not always as, as high margin. And so TV often gets fully funded first and then whatever is left goes to digital. It's generally hard to start a firm and to grow it. It doesn't so far seem like this one has been hard. What have been the biggest challenges for you guys? We've been very lucky in a lot of ways. I think our timing in terms of when we started the firm was really great. And the market was ready for new voices and new firms. 
again, part of the reason I, I wanted to team up with Mark is I felt like he had the relationships and potential clients sort of ready to come in and work with us that that made this very successful. And so we've been really lucky that the the challenges have been some of the easy things like how do you um, you know hire quickly enough to keep up with the workload and at the same time not grow so fast that you lose your culture or lose sort of quality control? How do you build a really well-integrated firm where everyone is talking together and collaborating really closely, especially in a world where so many of us are working remotely? But honestly, these have been really the fun challenges to have. How many people are you now? We're up to almost 20 full-time people. And are you pretty much virtual? How do you operate? We have office space in DC. I'd say about a third of our team is in DC and goes in semi-regularly, but for the most part, we're a remote firm. What does an engagement look like? Let's say I'm running for Senate. I go to you guys. What are the things that you would end up doing for me, and at least in your preference? And how would you go about kind of onboarding me as a client and teaching me what is doable? Yeah. One of the things that's been the most fun is we almost don't have a typical engagement because so much of the work we do is so varied. You know, we work with candidates. We also work with super PACs, with labor unions, nonprofits. We do some corporate work. They all hire us for slightly different things. And so we get to really customize the work we do and try a lot of different things. But the candidate piece is the thing that I think we've built into maybe the most standardized playbook. And we start all of our candidate engagements with a really big deep dive into that person's voice. We typically will try to sit down with them for an hour or so and ask them a bunch of questions about why they're running, who they are. We'll look at things they've said in the past. Sometimes we're lucky and they've written books that we'll be able to read and really get a sense of what makes them unique. And then It's all about how do we translate their unique perspective and their story online and and really build a program around that? And how do we go out and build an audience who's ready and receptive to that story? You must observe some people on one side of the aisle or, or both who aren't great practitioners at some aspect of this, because there are people who raise money in ways that are more scammy or who aren't true to facts and real information and how they convey candidates into the world. How do you think about the ethics of this and how do you differentiate yourself or judge people who are less, I'm assuming, less uh, ethical? Yeah. You know, I think it's really important to treat supporters with respect when I started doing this work, you know, our campaign and digital programs generally were small enough that I was the person who was checking the inbox, reading the messages that came back from supporters saying, you know, I gave you $5 out of my social security check, or my family skipped our weekly pizza night so we could make a contribution. And I think when you keep in mind that those are the folks who are supporting campaigns, you're always going to be honest with them. You're always going to be grateful for their donations and their contributions, whatever they can give. You're not going to guilt trip them. And so for me, that experience and connection and stories I've heard from those supporters has kind of helped keep me grounded 
and definitely guides the work that we do. I think one place a lot of firms and campaigns fall short is that, you know, it takes skill and expertise to build a program that is really story driven, really candidate driven, that's honest and respectful. It's a little bit easier to take sort of a grab bag of tactics and throw them sort of Mad Lib style into an email program. One of the things that's been really important for us is keeping our client roster small enough that we can provide that senior level expertise and attention and hiring folks who have robust campaign experience. I think where a lot of folks get into trouble is trying to take on too many projects and staffing those with a lot of really junior and experienced staff who just haven't been doing this long enough, don't have the skill set to build a program that can succeed without resorting to some of those scammier tactics. Of course, you were one of those fairly inexperienced people not that long ago, and you did a pretty decent job. I had some very good mentors along the way who really helped me figure out what I was doing and helped instill those values and that kind of commitment to running a strong program early on. And the luxury of starting out with just one candidate who I could really focus on full time and get to know. Was there a statewide campaign in 2022 that you worked with closely personally? Yeah, we did a number of statewide campaigns in 2022. We worked with Stacey Abrams' campaign in Georgia, worked with Patty Murray to get her reelected in Washington. I was originally born in Ohio, so one that was very close for me personally was Nan Whaley's gubernatorial campaign. Some of those were pretty challenging and didn't go the way that you would like or I would like. There's a tendency in politics to the association with victory makes people judge you one way and the association with defeat makes people judge you the other way. A lot of times, it's not a consultant or even the whole campaign team that makes a difference. That's a tough state, Ohio. The incumbent governor had positioned himself pretty well in Georgia, unfortunately, and kind of clamped that state down. How much do you think it matters? How much can you contribute to a victory or the difference in margin when you're doing what you do? Yeah, you know, I'm one of the political consultants who actually studied political science in school. And there's very little that I I studied in classes that's super relevant to the work I do now. But one of the things that I come back to again and again is the political science approach of campaigns don't matter that much. What really matters is who's currently in power and the state of the economy. And if you look at those two things, you'll understand the outcome of any election. I think that this work is really valuable and really rewarding, but I think it's worth doing whether we win or lose, particularly because I think that even losing campaigns have long-term value and ability to, to build support that can pay dividends down the road. We did work in 2020 in Kansas for Barbara Bollier, who did not win, but the cycle Kansas shot down an extreme anti-choice ballot measure and re-elected a Democratic governor. And so I like to think that there's a lot of value in communicating with people and voters and pushing our messaging, even when we can't win on a particular cycle. What do you like least about your current job? Yeah, 
I think the hardest thing about being a consultant is you can never go quite as deep on a project as you would want to if you know that was your sole focus. You're always being pulled in multiple directions. And so you have to really focus on what are the most important things, what's going to deliver the most value, but drop some of the things that you know you would ideally want to explore if you had more time. You're running a business as part of what you know, being a partner. There's a lot of people who have very different attitudes in the progressive space about what kind of business they want to build or even whether they want a business. You have that example of Bully Pulpit. I know Andrew Bleeker, who was one of the main people getting it going. And you mentioned that he took it out to private equity. And, and so there are models for turning service style businesses into something very profitable for the owners in terms of their equity and beyond. What do you guys think about the potential for this? Do you want to be kind of a boutique firm that serves the space that mainly stays with political and political related groups? Do you think about growing it for the sake of growth, making it more more interesting as a business? How do you think about that? I feel like you've identified the conversations we're having internally all the time. My bottom line has always been that I just want to do interesting, meaningful work in a way that is sustainable. And I think we're always figuring out and considering what's the best way to do that. We are one of the firms in the space that is not strictly political. We do do some corporate work. That's actually something that I think has been a huge asset for us, in part because it is not so cyclical. It allows us to keep people employed between elections. And that's good for the kind of employer we want to be. But also, it means that we don't train people up and invest in their professional development and build institutional knowledge and then have to start that process all over again. And I think it also allows us to really draw lessons across sectors and bring things into the political space that maybe haven't been there before because it's something we've seen work in a corporate world. How does it work when you're teaming up with other political consultancies that have different expertise on campaigns? I think that the best consultant teams work really collaboratively and respectfully together. I think everyone who has been part of a lot of campaigns has seen sort of high drama operations where there's a lot of conflict and a lot of disagreements. And I think it's important to have those disagreements in a way that still allows you to ultimately align on a strategy and an approach and work together in service of the candidate. You're doing this in just about 2023. Is it still the case that being a partner female is an issue and is different than being a male partner or less or more advantageous? For me, I'm definitely aware of being not just a woman, but also a young woman. I started Assemble when I was 28. I look pretty young. And so I think there is a little bit of extra work I sometimes have to do to credentialize myself or establish myself and communicate. I'm young, but I've been doing this for a really long time that I don't always see my my male counterparts have to do. Yeah. Do you have a particular go-to that you used to do that credentializing? What do you say? I think it's a work in progress, but I'll sometimes try to pepper in references to you know work I've done way in the past or how long I've been doing this just to sort of explain to people that 
I have a little bit more experience than they might assume. Some firms prefer clients in different parts of the ideological spectrum. What are you looking for when you are going out for clients? Say there's multiple options in a primary or whatever. Yeah, we work with folks who I think are really focused on effectiveness over ideology. There are a lot of firms that work with folks who are kind of on the far left of the Democratic Party. We tend to work with people who are a little bit more establishment oriented. You know, we worked for Joe Biden's super PAC during the 2020 primary. But I think what all of our clients have in common is that they're just really solutions oriented people who who want to get stuff done. Um, and we really look for people who are effective leaders rather than sort of a checkbox of policy issues. Is that where you are politically? Personally? Yeah, very much so. What do you think is a issue of any contention that's out there for digital consultants? What do you think people are debating right now that you have an opinion on that that would make sense to share? There's long been a debate among digital consultants about various fundraising tactics and how we draw various ethical lines and what's the balance between a really storytelling candidate-driven program versus a more tactics-driven program. I think that conversation has been going on since I got involved in this more than a decade ago, and we haven't really advanced that conversation in any meaningful way. I'm sort of much more interested in how can we be using digital in ways beyond fundraising? How can we be increasing the percentage of media dollars on campaigns that are going to digital versus other platforms? How can we be doing more with influencer marketing and with our organic social media communications to really reach voters in new and interesting ways? Those are the questions that I'm most interested in right now. One of the questions I'm most interested in is, do you operate differently in a Trumpian world where the other party has lost some hold on responsibility and is behaving kind of collectively poorly in terms of, you know, the election denial and the kind of right-wing authoritarian behavior that you're seeing that came from the bottom and from the top in certain ways. Do you think that affects your job and what responsibility do you guys as political consultants have to deal with it? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest imperative of the sort of era of polarization we're living in is that we need to be doing a more long-term steady state communication with voters that isn't just about a particular election or a particular candidate. Because when you're trying to get someone elected with limited resources, you're always going to be focused on the narrow segment of most persuadable voters or the people in your base who you need to turn out. But I really think that the only way we're going to get out of this era of people supporting en masse a political party that is just full of extremism and hatred is 
with some long-term work that really tries to to convert people to the Democratic Party and to to share progressive values. I think there's a real need to do more outside of sort of the traditional campaign framework to reach people. Are you able to get work doing that? It is really challenging. We're always looking to have those conversations. I think it's something that is really hard to fund from like a small dollar grassroots standpoint alone. It really needs some kind of high dollar investment. And it's tough to convince people that, you know, that's as important or more important than the sort of most imminent next election threat. What should I have asked you that I haven't? We covered a lot of ground. One thing we we haven't talked about is sort of what the biggest trends were this cycle. And I think one of the key things we're seeing right now is it's not enough right now, I think, to have communication coming just from your campaign or your candidate, just to run your paid ads and broadcast messaging on your social accounts. People really trust what they're seeing from their friends or from other messengers. And so I'm really interested in the rise of influencer marketing and digital organizing being used to amplify messaging online. I think it's really important that campaigns are kind of creating that surround sound effect versus just putting messaging out into the ecosystem. Is there anybody in the influencer marketing practitioner area, like a firm or person that you think is like state of the art in that? We've been able to run some really cool and exciting programs, often in cases where our candidates have really strong celebrity relationships. We worked with Ray McGuire for New York City mayor. You know, his campaign didn't pan out, but he had an incredible network where you know, we had a launch video narrated by Spike Lee. We did an endorsement conversation with Jay-Z and just all of these kind of constant celebrity appearances. So, you know, I think on sort of the macro influencer space, we've been able to do some really interesting work. Actually, the White House and the DNC have been doing really great work in, in the more micro influencer space. Is there a firm that has a practice in that area? It's something we've definitely been increasingly building out, but not something I've really seen much from a lot of our competitors. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's been enjoyable to talk to you. Is there anything else you want to say? No, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. That was Eve Sambor-McCool. She's at assemblytheagency.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.